episode 32 with the turkeys coming very soon to a dinner table near you it's time for some good old-fashioned midwest football in the cold and weather around thanksgiving we're here to break down all of the important developments and hidden takes for all of the nfl's upper midwestern teams the bears bengals browns colts lions packers steelers and vikings I'm Joe Smith, one of your hosts, and I am right here in Detroit, Michigan, where the premier college football rivalry is about to be played once again. Now let me introduce to you my co-host and friend, Chicago's own Brian Rosenquist. Hello, Midwestlanders and friends. I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited for some turkey beer football on Thursday. We got our first ever... uh, All at the same time. Yep, (laughs) Blair. We, we got our first ever uh, Black Friday football featuring the Jets, of course, which makes sense because it sounds like a darkest hour for football. But we get a football game on Friday. Then we have the aforementioned rivalry Saturday, followed by Sunday and even Monday football. So we got five straight days of football. Happy Thanksgiving. That's what I'm thankful for. What about you? I am definitely ready to watch some football. We got some big games coming up, both college and pros. And a lot of family and friends to enjoy them with. So that sounds like a great combination to me. Agreed. Vin Diesel will be very proud. Thanksgiving's all about family, just like the Fast and the Furious franchise. Somehow, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) In any case, if you like the show, help our podcast grow by giving us a five-star review, commenting, contacting us via our email, midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com or recommending our show to your friends. We go into every game from Week 11 that featured a Midwest team this week. We will talk about an East Coast team finally coming to their senses at quarterback. And yes, we do have one or two quick updates on the cheating scandal rocking the Big Ten that never ends. But first, maybe the meek really shall inherit the earth. There's definitely a changing of the guard in the NFL. Brian? Just think, two years ago, I believe the... Jaguars were gifting uh, Aiden Hutchinson to the Lions. It's the number one overall pick and the number two overall pick. I don't even remember who they picked at number one. But the Jags somehow are seven and three along with the Browns. And they are behind the Lions at eight and two. So a lot has changed in two years, including three of the most downtrodden franchises in my memory um, in the driver's seat for the playoffs this year. The Lions are eight and two. The only other teams with fewer than three losses are the Eagles and the Chiefs. <laughs> and Who are they were in the Super Bowl last year. Yep, That's and they're true. playing tonight as we record this. Indeed. But. It's unbelievable to me how far really all of these teams have come in such a short period of time. Agreed. Very excited for the fan bases. It's fun to see these downtrodden teams finally get rewarded when uh, their teams finally pay off the uh, fanatic, the fandom that, you know, they risk it. It just hits harder for these guys and, you know, not to step on in the the future, but you notice, I noticed that a lot watching bears lions on uh, third down when Chicago was on the road in Detroit, which made sense because, you know, it's, it's just very exciting time, you know? Definitely for the Lions fans, really for the Bears, too, if you're looking at what's coming up in the draft. Um, <laughs> and whatever, and the anticipation that is building of the team launching Eberflus into the sun. But whatever. More on that later. Yes. 
Speaking of people getting launched into the sun, the Jets finally decided after a year and a half of unbelievable stinking to move on from Zach Wilson, uh, this time perhaps for more than a quarter and a half. And they are instead benching Zach Wilson for former Lions practice squad quarterback Tim Boyle. You want to talk more about your former Lions? He did get two starts. So during the COVID year, uh, he got pretty well blown out of both of them. Those were pretty awful Lions teams back then. So what I was looking up is I was kind of curious how he even made it into the NFL because he played at University of Connecticut, which was is not exactly a power conference team at these days. His mm-hmm. final career stats in three seasons, playing in 013 and 14 and 15, he he threw a total of one touchdown and 13 interceptions in those three seasons, completing 48% of his passes. And this is apparently an upgrade from uh, Zach Wilson. So uh, congratulations, Tim Boyle, on your chance to uh, be the star of New York uh, after uh, obviously he's been a good practice squad guy because, I mean, he's been in the NFL you know, since 2016. That is impressive that he managed to just make it to the NFL after that stat line. I mean, guys like Taysom Bajan was, you know, had amazing stats against lower competition. It's just like 0-8 intercept, 0-8 touchdown interception ratio one year and uh, going on from there. So um, I wish you the best of luck, Tim Boyle. Honestly, you probably can't be worse than Zach Wilson at this point, other than milf hunting. But uh, we'll get to find out on the big lights on uh, on the first ever <laughs> aforementioned Black Friday football on Amazon Prime, baby. Who are the Jets playing? The Dolphins. Fins up. Yeah, the the, the people in uh in Florida here are very excited about the Dolphins' latest win and bear limping their way to victory over another rookie quarterback, Aiden O'Connell. I can tell you another program that firmly believes that, that team up north, actually south of me. <laughs> well, north of the Ohio State University. The Yeah, the latest on this stuff, the University of Michigan has dropped their legal challenge to the Big Ten suspension. So... Jim Harbaugh will sit out the remaining two games. Well, now one game of the regular season. This happened before the game last week. And the word on the street is basically because when they did this and then they immediately fired their linebackers coach. Yeah. The alleged thing is that uh, the NCAA uh, told Michigan or showed Michigan a big 10 or someone did that he had attempted to destroy evidence in this case. I think the NCAA said that, and that's when Michigan fired him. So whether he was doing it at the um, order of someone higher up and he's the fall guy or not, we don't know. Um, all speculation, but he was the guy they get rid of, which it reminded me of when uh, the Bears fired their uh, running backs coach earlier this year where you go, wait a minute, the Michigan defense is really good. I'm assuming the linebackers are playing well. There has to be more to this, and apparently it had to do with tampering, with uh, destroying evidence. I still know how Apparently so. Yeah, allegedly. That's what the allegations are. So, Yeah. So it just keeps getting better. Yippee. 
Yeah, I'm. I mean, to me, this was a sign that Michigan, especially once we saw what happened with the linebacker coach, that Michigan saw the evidence against them, realized that a full public court proceeding would make things worse for them. You know, Ray Rice esque. Uh huh. And decided that the better thing to do to keep their runway clear for this year and minimize the number of people demanding more punishment was just to go along with the suspension, which is a nothing burger anyway. Mm-hmm. As we discussed last week on the podcast, feel free to look it up. Yeah. If you missed last week's episode, it's all right there on our uh, site or any of the places where podcasts are available. Yep. Well, on to uh, week 11 in the NFL. Absolutely. Speaking of podcasts being available, uh, if you want to sound off on any of the topics that we talk about today, or you've got your own thing that you're just itching to share with the Midwest Lander community, please email us at MidwestFootballPodcast.com. That's MidwestFootballPodcast.com. But yeah, we had a Thursday game that we were really excited for when it was coming up. And it was newsworthy for all of the wrong reasons. Mm. Last Thursday's game, the Bengals at the Ravens, the big story. Everybody knows it by now. Joe Burrow out for the year. This is a moment of silence for the Bengals season. Just as it was uh, turning around and they were making their midseason rally. And... uh, (sighs) It's it's a shame because this is a stat they were talking about before the game started that this was the third year in a row the Ravens have started seven and three and the Bengals at five and five. The last two years the Bengals ended up winning the division, so you can do the math that they were trailing by two games late in the season. Um, after losing this game, they probably are in a pretty big deep hole to win the division a third straight time, especially without their, uh, you know, future Hall of Fame quarterback. And it's a shame because you sent me a stat that Joe Burrow uh, has been sacked more times in fewer games than Andrew Luck, who who famously called the quits to his career early and retired. Yeah, uh, the stat was in... At this point in each of their careers, Andrew Luck had played 55 games. Joe Burrow has played 52. Mm. Andrew Luck was sacked 115 times in those 55 games. Joe Burrow has been sacked in his 52 games 148 times. (laughs) Wow. I I knew that was an issue his first couple of seasons, but doesn't seem like that's really improved a lot over the last two years because he's continues to get hit. And the the injuries are mounting. I mean, this is the fourth straight year Joe Burrow has come into the uh, season, as we talked in one of our earlier podcasts. He's never had a full training camp, uh, sometimes injury, sometimes COVID-related, including this year he had the, uh, the, 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 the calf injury. And then um, – this is now the second time in four years that he has had a season-ending injury. So he has only completed two seasons healthy out of his four, which is kind of sad considering you know, he's, he's a pocket passer. So I thought those guys never got injured. Uh, only the runners did, apparently not. Um, and his two healthy seasons ended up in the AFC Championship game and the Super Bowl. They just need to get him through a season. <laughs> yeah. And now I don't know how many of these career sacks taken – 
are from the first year, year and a half of his existence in the NFL, where he didn't have offensive linemen in front of him. He had matadors. I mean, there was a famous stat where they made it to the play, made it to the Super Bowl. He was getting sacked. I think he got sacked nine times in one game by the Titans or something like that and still won. So, I mean, he's tough. Don't get me wrong, but those injuries do add up, especially, you know, the later on you get in your career. So, you know, and the Bengals have been trying to show up that offensive line the last couple of years, but they have not seemed to done enough to keep him healthy this year because this is already a second or third injury, you know, and now he's out for the season. It's I just feel bad for the Bengals fans and his teammates and, of course, Joe Burrow himself. What is particularly alarming is the number of soft tissue injuries because those are a sign that a body is breaking down. Yeah, like RG3 had that one amazing year, and then he just had soft tissue injury after soft tissue injury, including like his dislocated ankle was he was just running on the sideline on a routine play. And that stuff always worries me because that stuff is usually a sign of weaker ligaments that are don't kind of go away, which knock on wood, I hope that's not the case in uh, Joe Burrow's case for him and the Bengals, you know? Yeah. But getting to the game itself, one it, the Ravens were playing very well to begin with, but I mean we know that the Ravens usually start pretty fast. The Bengals were pretty all right to themselves in the very beginning of the game, but once Joe Burrow went down, that was pretty much all that she wrote for a shell shocked Cincinnati team. Well, and this is an interesting one too because uh, you know after we talked about this on the one more thing last week, the Bengal the the Ravens are have now led going into the fourth quarter on all 11 of their games. Uh, technically, their two loss, three losses were blown fourth quarter leads. And I predicted that they would get a quick start and Burrow would lead the Bengals back into the play, you know, to a, to a late, you know, fourth quarter comeback. And honestly, the game was kind of following that script um, until Burrow got injured, which is a shame because we never got to see it play out. But so we'll never know how right I am. That's the true crime, not Burrow's injury. Just kidding. It's totally Joe Burrow's injury. Um, but, you know, Jake Browning seemed semi-competent as as a as the quarterback backing up Burrow. Um, it wasn't anything flashy. Um, unfortunately, I think it's only a matter of time before J- Jamar Chase starts to go diva because he only got two catches for 12 yards, but saved his fantasy game with a touchdown in garbage time. And, um, but he doesn't play for the Steelers more on that later. Um, (laughs) Foreshadowing. Right. And the other thing too, is what sucked about this game too, is it wasn't just Burrow getting injured. Mark Andrews left for a potential season ending injury. Although I'm now I'm hearing murmurs that he'll be back. Um, Odell Beckham Jr. got hurt on his last catch of the game where he got over 100 yards, so he started showing flashes, and then he got taken away from us. I don't know the extent of his injury, but it seems to me like it was kind of a brutal game for um, for both teams, despite the fairly dominating victory for the Ravens. Yeah, the Mark Andrews injury happened. It looked like a. it might you – know, we're speculating here – but it could be an, a literal broken ankle uh, where the defensive back that was trying to tackle him from behind had him around the waist or the jersey or something to that effect 
and then just drop to the turf, landing on uh, Andrew's ankle and went the wrong direction as everything went to the turf and problem. Yeah, it's I am seeing that they're thinking it was a clean break, so he might be back for some of the playoffs if they assuming they get that far. Yeah, but, I see um, outside shot of returning to the field this season. So he's yeah. for all sense of purposes, he's done for your fantasy rosters, but he might be back for a playoff run for the Ravens. Yeah. And I and I'm saying your fantasy roster being any listeners, but I think he's also on your team too, Joe. So I apologize for that. Yep. And in case you're wondering, Joe got Devin A chain back and lost him in two plays also this week. So it's been a rough fantasy day. <laughs> Yeah, this this is approaching all time bad for my team. Yeah, but um, yeah. So without Burrow, this game was pretty much a Baltimore defensive snuff out. But the Ravens, three straight years at seven and three, Bengals on the precipice at five and five. But it doesn't look like the Bengals will pull off a third straight division title despite being behind. So. No, not unless this quarterback is way better than we think he is or the supporting cast is playing out of their minds. And I'm pretty sure the last two years when they were they were two games apart at this point, the Bengals closed the gap, not fell three games behind this week. So, yeah, it's going to be rough. But um, the Bengals now are easily in last place. I think they're the only team sub 500 in the AFC North. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add about – or they're actually at 500 now – because uh, they had a bye week. Um, did you have anything to add about that um, before we head on to the other AFC North? No, no, it's still a really good division, and that's just making it all the more reason that the Bengals are going to have some problems if they don't figure something out in the very near future. Yeah, so going on to the, uh, other, the AFC North uh, played each other last week. The other game was the uh, Browns winning a shootout against the Bank, uh, Steelers uh, 13 to 10. And by shootout, I mean, there was maybe two offensive plays that went more than three yards. Um, as you said, this was a game for the diehards, black and old school, black and blue division type action, Midwest uh, style at its greatest, uh, not for the faint of heart. Um, not for the red zone viewers. It, I don't think this game showed up a lot when I had my red zone on on the other TV. So, uh, Big time defensive game as we thought. Um, one thing I was I said last week, I wasn't sure which defense to start. I have these two in my dynasty. Turned out they both scored nine points in that league, so it, it didn't matter. <laughs> and that's kind of sounds about right. Cause I felt like this was like a mirror match with the Spider-Man clone. Um this was the what were you gonna say? Um first game without um Deshaun Watson for the season. Uh D- D- Dorian Thompson Robinson. Played pretty competent. I mean, he seemed to take care of the ball. I mean, he obviously didn't lose the game for him because they won. Do you have any uh, strong thoughts on how the rookie did? Well, yeah, especially at the end of the game, Dorian Thompson-Robinson had a number of big plays. I think he went three for three or four for four and converted like three key third downs Mm -hmm. to keep the drive alive long enough to get Phil Dawson to go kick the winner got the job done because it felt like it was going to be one of those zombie Steelers wins where they just kept it close and then just made that one pickens play like they did earlier this year to beat the Brown bank Browns. And, you know, we saw that earlier. Um, 
the uh, Jalen Warren had his 75-yard touchdown, which was pretty much the entire offense of the Steelers for the game. And um, down low there, low it the down low the Steelers only. Sorry, very quietly the Steelers' longest run in almost a decade. Oh wow, fourteen. So he not only got the start, and he also had the 74-yard touchdown run for a whole total of 129 yards on the day, which if you're counting Pickett through for 106 yards, not including the 29 yards lost by taking three sacks, so it was even worse. Um, and he still got outrushed by Najee Harris, who despite not starting and not being effective, had 12 carries to Jalen Warren's nine, which is at this point a crime because Najee Harris finished the season, the game with 35 yards rushing on a 2.9 yards per clip, but thir- 17 of those was on a big play where they just ran a draw on like third and 25 where the Browns just gave him the draw. And I, I don't know why they, they, they asked Tomlin what, if he regrets not giving the ball to Jalen Warren more. And he did the usual, you know, this is what we is. This is our game plan, blah, blah, blah. Um, this is where we get to, are we blaming Canada yet? Matt, Canada. <laughs> so, yeah. Not- at this point, the fans in Pittsburgh, yeah, that seat for Matt Canada is on fire, literal fire. But I also want to point out before we get too far away from uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson that despite the success that they had, they still the Browns still turned around and signed Joe Flacco to the practice squad this week. So my question, what happened to P.J. Walker? Did they just get rid of him or they just don't have confidence or is he still there as the backup now? I think he's still on the team, and they're just looking for a reason to have him not be on the team. Of okay. course, they thought did the same thing with Dobbs. So, I mean, that's fair. Yeah, but they could probably use Josh Dobbs right now. He's looking pretty good. More on that later. Um, speaking of bad quarterbacks, though, um, Kenny Pickett continues to frustrate. You know, Deontay Johnson and Steelers fans. He now has the lowest touchdown rate of any quarterback in the NFL. He's under two percent. Which, you know, there's running jokes that, like, I think even, like, uh, who's that guy, um, Tommy DeVito, at, uh, the Giants has more touchdown passes thrown to him this season. It's getting pretty brutal. But I was listening to um, the PFF talking about it was Pickett might have a really low touchdown rate. So there are Steelers fans calling for Trubisky. But if you, it's not hard to go back very far to the beginning of last year where Trubisky was a starter. His touchdown rate was almost as low as Pickett's. It's it's to me, it's not quarterback driven. It's schematic. Do you want to play a quick impromptu game uh, blame pie on whether it be Pickett or Matt Canada or other? I'm still largely blaming Matt Canada on this. Either either the offensive talent on this team has been drastically hilariously completely overrated Mm -hmm. or this is a team that's loaded with weapons that an offensive coordinator can't get anybody open and can't get explosive plays with one of those two things must be true and i i think it's the coordinator i mean their play calling is laughably predictable and uncreative and it's just, 
I, it's just, it doesn't know service. It's, it's kind of what we talked about last week when we did the Bryce young uh, blame pie. Um, it's hard to blame a quarterback who's played for a season and a half and didn't start the first half of last season um, for not being brought along better and being put in better position. This guy isn't like Justin Fields where he can take off running with his athleticism more on that later. Um, speaking of uncreative offenses, but it's just, it's, it's getting brutal out there for the Steelers. They're still six and four. They've been winning games, but it's, it's interesting because um, Miles Garrett had a big game this week, and it's funny to me because per pro football focus, they basically graded him just as well as they did the first time they played the Steelers, where Steelers fans were bragging about how um, I think it's Chris Moore, the lineman, was shutting down uh, Miles Garrett. But in reality, Miles Garrett was whipping him just as bad in both games. He just happened to get to the quarterback more often and almost had a safety out of it. Do you have more any takes on Miles Garrett other than just being the single head scariest player in the game, especially when he's carrying a Steelers helmet in his hand? <laughs> I just pictured him taking a bite out of it. Um, <laughs> fiber. No, he had an unbelievable play. Should have been a safety yeah, where he just came right through the middle of the offensive line right at Kenny Pickett and I thought he was gonna cut him in half but Miles Garrett was more responsible than that he just made the great play to back him as far back as a team can possibly be backed up to Mm -hmm. and that was just his highlight he has I think what 12 sacks this season he's having an unbelievable year I mean, he's looking for deep defensive player of the year this year. And I, I don't think it's it's harder to because last year he was faded in that category because his team wasn't winning enough. They're seven and three right now. Yeah, 13 sacks on the season. Pretty good. What what more do you want in a exactly. defensive player? You know, and it's one of those things too where like I can't remember if we call we called this, but like the Browns Watson hadn't been that great this year and the Browns had been winning with PJ Walker. So like we really shouldn't be surprised that they could win, you know, with the rookie DTR and uh, proud for that rookie showing composure and, you know, engineering the game winning drive down the stretch. That's the first of possibly many for him because Watson's not coming back this year, you know? Right. Uh, I do want to highlight though, the post game frustration from Deontay and Najee. Because both of them separately went off. Like you usually don't see a six and four team kind of you know, turn to infighting like this, but we are definitely seeing it at the offensive skill positions right now. Hey, as a owner of Najee and uh, Deontay on my dynasty team, I'm with them. Give them the ball more. I don't even care if Jalen Warren's better than them. <laughs> But they are good players in their own right. And, you know, Najee Harris didn't have a good game, but he's been actually having a quietly pretty solid year this year. And the Steelers did upgrade their offensive line. And since the bye week, Najee had been playing well. But And Deontay had been doing really well to start the season when he came back from his injury. But the last two weeks, he's been a ghost. Yeah, last two weeks combined, he has three catches for 34 yards, I think, total for two games. Yeah, that's pretty brutal for someone who's always open. Yeah, and cameras pretty much caught him going off with Mike Tomlin on the sideline. 
I don't really blame him. I, mean, I sent you the joke that, you know, another Steelers diva receiver, but I don't blame him. This guy is their, you know, $19 million a year receiver. He's always open. He's there. Get him the ball, move the chains. You know, George Pickens is the big play guy. I know he was frustrated earlier this year, but at least he was – at least – Pickett was finding Deontay Johnson when Pickens was mad, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kenny Pickett's like, fine, I'll treat you equal. Now neither of you get the ball. Exactly. It's just, it's just now nobody wins. It's, it's a running of a running joke. That's how you even it out. You know, don't get them both the ball. Just uh, you all get punished. That's what you get for crying out loud. But it is interesting because, it is a common thread. Now you have guys like Najee, Deontay, Pickens, all frustrated. And it's, you know, we talked about this earlier. I don't want to rehash it, but um, blame Canada. They're not even a real country anyway, as the song goes. Sorry, Canadian fans. It's a joke. South Park episode. Or sorry, movie from 20 years ago. Very, very timely reference. <laughs> uh, very quickly before we move on, this was the first win by the Browns. First time the Browns have ever beaten Baltimore and Pittsburgh in back-to-back weeks. Ever. That is huge because the Browns fans I know, Steelers is their main rival, and the, the Ravens are the former Browns who they hate even more because they robbed them of their team in the 90s. So, And I don't blame them for that. So no. good for them. Very happy back-to-back week for the Cleveland fan base. I'll tell you that. They are celebrating. They've come oh, yeah. Up- Far cry from when Baker Mayfield's rookie year engineered the final, the first victory in 30 some games and busted open that Bud Light coolers or whatever it was for the free beers in the stadium. If you remember that, <laughs> Steve Austin beer bash. Um, but let's move on to a game that we, by the way, did not game plan preview pre production for. This is, this is going to be a live discussion here. Bears at Lions. What an unbelievable game. This was probably the most exciting game to watch um, of the game day because it was pretty good. It was pretty exciting. It was it was um, I would say it's less exciting probably if you're a Lions fan despite winning it because the Bears had a dominated the time possession of the ball for 40 minutes Drove the ball down, uh, golf. There was uh, accusations that he was throwing the game, point-shaving scandals, et cetera, uh, calling for investigations because some of his interceptions were just right to Bears linebackers. I don't know what your take is, but I'm just going to do my rant and tell you, kind of curious what your take is on the Lions' perspective. But in my opinion, this is what exactly what I was hoping for when Fields returned from injury was that – all he really had to do was th- take checkdowns or use his legs instead of taking nine sacks a game. And he did that. He did exactly what Joe was fearful of all year, which was mobile quarterback shredding the Lions defense and keeping the chains moving. He had over 100 yards on the ground and looked looked composed, looked legit. I think he only took like one sack or so. And he had uh, – what I was hoping he would do was – you know, move the chains, don't take the negative sacks or ne- negative plays, and then take a couple of shots. He had the big play- touchdown pass to DJ Moore, and it looked pretty good, but they kept settling for field goals despite having short fields, which is why fields only had like 160 yards passing, but he also did have 100 yards rushing. And this is where the Bears fans are 
calling for Eberflus and Getsy's heads because on a lot of short fields, they settle for field goals in the 20s yard line on fourth and short. And I think a lot of Bears fans were like, dude, you're playing seven and two team, go for the throat. You got to win. You can't just play to not lose, which is one of my biggest pet peeves. And I'm going to ask you, let us tag you in for a second. As a Lions fan, were you happy to see the Bears settle for field goals or were you afraid the Bears were going to put some sort of run pass option for Justin Fields with a short to goal to go? And do you think the Lions had the ability to stop that if they did? No, if if the other team is gets a short field and they're held, held to a field goal, that's a win for your defense. It doesn't do your points per game any good, but neither does your quarterback throwing a pick six. There's lots of things that don't do your point per game any good, but no, I was, you know, I was very happy to see those field goal tries go up because they were the first touchdown drive. The bears were pretty much ran it right down the lion's throat. And they had one more drive that was pretty much like that. They had a number of long drives, but they never really cashed in again. So the lion's, they were they were allowed to hang around. I was going to say, it was one of those games where the Bears early in the season were kind of dominating, but couldn't punch the ball in, couldn't, you know, step on their throats and take pull, pull away. And it just felt like they were letting the Lions linger, and that was only a matter of time. And um, then, you know, you get to the end of the uh, game where the Bears are up 12 points, and – Immediately, you get your JMO sighting. You can we can touch back on that later, and they score a touchdown, a very quick touchdown, which annoyed me because with less than four minutes to play, I don't know how you're giving up plays like that. Like I don't know what Eddie Jackson's doing. He's still living on his reputation from four years ago, five years ago in 2018 when he was All Pro. Um, also, just r- double rewinding back, Jalen Johnson. If you're trying to get paid, catch the pick six. Literally, he had a pick six in his hands, dropped it. Uh, Gibbs scores a touchdown the next play. That's literally a 14-point swing. But back to the end of the game, Bears get the ball back. And this is, to me, this is the most fireball offense. It was the worst sequence I've seen in a while where the Lions have nine men in the box on first and second down. And the Bears just, they don't give the ball to fields. They don't try to throw the ball. They just run the ball right up the middle for no gain to use to, to force the Lions to use two of their timeouts. Then instead of forcing the Lions to use their third timeout, they go for the throat. If you're going to do this, don't do it on third and nine. Do the pass on first or second down off of a play action or something where the Lions are diving and you have an easy throw or easy run for Justin Fields to pick up some yards and keep the clock moving. But it was the worst way you can run this, where if you're going to commit to grinding out the timeouts, uh, run it on three plays or throw on first or second down, not third down. And even the play on third down worked, but you had Tyler Scott, a converted running back, showing why he's a converted running back, not a wide receiver, because the ball was perfectly thrown. But when he looked up for the ball, he slapped his feet for a half a segment, and that's why the ball hit off the tip fingertips instead of landing in his bread bucket. Yeah, it went right off his fingers. And he right slowed down. If fingers. he didn't, that would have been right perfect right where he's at. You can't ask Fields for a better throw in that situation. But Yeah, I mean... As as Lions fans right now this week, we are very split 
because on one hand where we had a game where the lions were absolutely awful and still won. How awful were the lions? They got smoked in time of possession, 40 to 20. And they had four turnovers and got none. Well, one at the, well, the last one at the end was basically a safety. Yeah, that was the game was already over at that point. Anyways, the Lions are literally the only team in the history of the NFL to win a game under those criteria. I'm glad you said that because I think there was 40 games where a team had 40 minutes or more time of possession. The Bears are the only team to lose that one. So congratulations, Everflus and uh, Gutsy. Yeah. Or should I say congratulations to the Lions for pulling off the win? Well, the other thing, too, is. Did you see the overall stats? I think it was, uh, we don't have this on our uh, rundown, but Jared Goff in the fourth quarter was like 11 of 14 for a hundred and some yards and two touchdowns where, you know, he finished the season game with like a hundred and 240 yards and three interceptions and two touchdowns. So like it was all complete difference between quarters one through three and quarter four for Jared Goff, where it turned into Joe Montana, Brady, Elway, whatever you want to call him, Mahomes. Yeah, that was what really was freaking people out was he was missing receivers by 10 yards for the first three quarters. And then all of a sudden he's coming in and he's making 10 throws in a row where he's putting the football in a box the size of a microwave 15 yards downfield between two receivers or between two corners, excuse me. And everyone's going, wait, what? Although I do want to say, first of all, I appreciate you and the Chicago Bears, Brian, for taking a couple million dollars off the golf extension when it happens. Hey, 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 slow down. He still won the game. He had to lose that game for that to happen. It might not stay. (laughs) Well, I mean, if I'm the Lions, though, I'm just putting tape of all of these throws that he where he was bouncing them off of Chicago Bears defense DB face masks. And just being, oh, you think you need another $5 million? Shows the pick of the show, shows the interception of, you know, whatever, where he, there's literally only the one Chicago Bear in the frame. I mean, I could say the, the TJ Edwards one was somewhat defensible because it looked like he stepped in front of him and maybe didn't see him, but that's a rookie mistake on a quarterback. Um, one of the interceptions was the, uh, the receiver basically got picked off by running it by a cross route, which is normally you you pick off the defensive back, not the receiver. That's the intended. I think that was to Laporta, but I don't understand what he was even throwing the ball when he threw the interception to Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, it's just the ball was just thrown right to him. He's like, okay, I'll take it. You know? Oh yeah. Um. So I'm mostly in the position right now where I'm pretty just happy the Lions won. But there are some Lions fans out there who are freaked out that we didn't do what Dallas does and blow out a bad team. There are some disturbing trends that we're starting to see, especially on the defensive side. One is, I've mentioned many times on the podcast, stopping mobile quarterbacks. That continued. That continued to be concerning, yeah. Here is another one that's a little bit less, a little bit more under the radar. Once is a fluke, as Chris Berman would say. Twice is a trend, three times, you know, once is a fluke, twice is a coincidence, three times is a trend. The Lions have basically played three games against teams that felt like a playoff game at the time. And that was at the Kansas City Chiefs. That was at the Bucks, 
and that was at the Chargers. Those are their three big road wins. Sorry, Packers. <laughs> but here's the disturbing part. The week after all of those games, they came back and absolutely laid an egg. The first one was the Seahawks loss at Ford Field in the home opener where it felt basically exactly like this Bears game, except the Seahawks were a better team and wouldn't let the Lions off the hook. The, then they came back to the Ravens where they got smoked after the Buccaneers game. That was brutal. And then this one where they had four turnovers and lost the time of possession 40 to 20. So that's three times out of three that they played a big road game and came back flat the next week after a win. I'm not liking that. Well, that- Go Hopefully ahead. you guys have a better turnaround time because you guys got Thursday hosting the Green Bay, but at least they're both at home. Yeah, that's the real that's the thing here. Right now, I'm willing to kind of forgive this one and just say, okay, good teams find ways to steal wins like this. But if they turn around and struggle with the Packers and you know to a similar extent, then my tune might be dramatically different next week. I will say this isn't the same old lines as you said, they're not SOL. They did find a way to win a game that they played terribly and got dominated completely. That's the sign of a good franchise. The amount of times that Mahomes and the Chiefs have done it, the Tom Brady Patriots have done, won games that they had no business winning. That's what good teams do. And it was, to me, I would take out going, hey, golf played terrible, but he played well when it mattered. And the fourth quarter was brilliant. And, you know, particularly the last four minutes. So, and then Hutchinson was kind of invisible until the last play of the game where he strip sacked Justin Fields and, you know, helped kick it out of the end zone for a safety. So, yeah. well, that's kind of been what's going on with Hutchinson lately is he hasn't gotten the sacks. The pressures have been there, but he hasn't mm-hmm. gotten the sack in a while. And this goes back to what we you ranted about at trade deadline. Get a second pass rusher outside of that and the quarterbacks can't just slide away from him when he's pressuring him, you know. Exactly. So- it's a little harder. Which is pretty much what's happening. Speaking of the Packers coming up, the, they had their own slop fest against the Chargers. And oh my gosh, did anybody want to win this game? I don't think so. And I got to say, um, if you bet on this game as a gambler, which we don't condone, although it is legal in most states. You bet on this game, you have a gambling problem and you need to call Gamblers Anonymous because if you definitively <laughs> thought you could bet on Jordan Love to win this game or you could bet on Brandon Staley to win this game on the road, you're insane. Now, it ended up being what we kind of predicted was the Chargers would should have won the game, but they blew it on the road in Green Bay because they couldn't handle Lambeau. I mean, it literally came down to Quentin Johnson, rookie out of TCU, dropping a wide-open touchdown pass at the end of the game. So the lesson I learned is don't ever draft TC receivers in the first round, Jalen Rager <clears throat> but uh, and Quentin Johnson. But he's still young in his career. But apparently, going back to our rant last week when we talked about St. Brown and Keenan Allen, who played in this game, um, having good hands is a good thing for a receiver. And if you don't, like Quentin Johnson, you don't come through when it matters. Um, but, yeah, nobody wanted to win it. Eventually, the Packers won. Congratulations. They're four and six. 
I don't know how exciting that is. I, I'm not, I, I didn't, it wasn't one of my featured games because it was, you know, I was focused on Bears Lions and red zone stuff. But unfortunately, the Packers won, but Aaron Jones got carted off the field, um, which not quite as severe as a Joe Burrow, but I would argue he's the engine best player on their offense right now. And that's kind of disappointing, very disappointing. Um especially because the win got them back into the playoff race. But he did avoid an ACL tear. There's an MRA going uh, today as of the recording of this. We're recording a day early for Thanksgiving and other stuff. Uh, this is on Monday. So we you will probably know the conclusion of the results by the time this podcast drops. Um, they also lost their third stringer, Emmanuel Wilson, to a shoulder injury during that game. And... Um, Added James Robinson as a free agent signing uh, to add some depth real quick, which tells me that they don't expect Aaron Jones or Wilson to be back in the next week or so. Yeah. Um, first of all, yes. If you are betting this game, then you're probably looking for Monmouth and basketball or something. So don't be the guy that's betting so much. You're living under an overpass. Just, you know, Enjoy the games. It's okay to stay away from some games. Amen to that. That being said, yeah, Aaron Jones is would be very, very missed on this team, just like he was when he went out earlier in this year. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, they think he avoided the ACL, but, I mean, they thought the same thing of uh, – Nick Chubb this earlier this year and his knee was bent 90 degrees the wrong way. So we'll see what happens when we get closer to, to game time here. It's a short week. So I don't think Aaron Jones is going to play this week regardless, but I'll agree with that. Um, the good news is they still got AJ Dillon who they drafted in the second round. Um, he looked great averaging 2.1 yards per carry with a long of six. In case you don't know by now, I'm being sarcastic. He has been, kind of awful uh this year with all the opportunities with Aaron Jones out which is kind of one of the underrated disappointing stories in my opinion uh the snowplow had gotten a decent amount of hype um and he has not been coming through for the Packers this year no to be fair the offensive line has been awful they've had multiple injuries and it's it's just not there so a lot of the defensive pass rushes that they're facing have gotten home either in the running or on the pass. Mm -hmm. That being said, you can't be as bad as the Packers running game has been. I mean, Aaron Jones, despite injury, getting injured, still averaged almost twice as much as Aaron A.J. Dillon did. Now, that being said, 3.5 yards per carry isn't Aaron Jones' best game, but We'll forgive him. He was injured. He also did have a they, they did not have a single run of over 10 yards by a running back. They were led by Jaden Reed, who had 32 yard run, including 46 yards on the ground, not in the air on the ground, but he also had it in the air, too. So he had 46 and 46, including a rushing touchdown. He was their best running back on the team and is coming under his own as one of the best players. And yeah. he had an end around and broke it. Yeah. And Jordan Love threw for 300 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. So it was a big game of him. But, I mean, of course, he's playing against one of the worst defenses in the league, despite having the most talent on the league. Talking about coaching malpractice, we'll get to that in a second. Um, but Jordan Love, is good to see him play well. Um, 
he's still struggling to connect with Christian Watson, which is concerning. So I saw this tweet from uh, Ian Hardis of uh, Fantasy uh, Football Life where he has a uh, passer rating to Jaden Reed of 116.9. Which is really good, by the way. Yes. Uh, Dontavian Wicks, he had, I think he's a receive, r- rookie out of fourth rounder ish, maybe. He has a 107 rating to him. He has a 97 to, to Romeo Dubs, which are all very good ratings. So, how does he not have a good year? Because Christian Watson, the hero of the best guy on the team, the hyped up one, right? Big play guy, 45.5 passer rating to him. I don't know if Christian Watson's not good. Do you think it's that his passing routes are deeper, or are they on the same not on the same page? Is Watson not a good route runner? What what do you, what do you, what's your theories, and what do you see on this? Well, first of all, Watson is absolutely the deep threat of all of these receivers. Reed can be that, but he's more of a Josh Reynolds, jack of all trades, can do it all kind of receiver. I always liked his um, route running was his strength. That's not necessarily big play, which Christian Watson brings that, or at least he should. Right. So if, again, we're talking about various hypotheses here, if the problem with Love is he's wildly inaccurate and more inaccurate the deeper he goes, that's going to eat straight into Watson because it means that Watson would have to be high school open. Hmm. If That's... he's 25, 30 yards down the field, I mean. Mm-hmm. But now it also might be something like maybe his route running isn't so good. Maybe the he needs a veteran around him to teach him how to play receiver at the NFL level, and they don't have one on this team. We did talk about the veterans a couple weeks ago, and I will say – I think that's a good point because I don't I don't have a great scouting on on Wicks yet, but Reed and Dub's strengths are route running. They were good route runners in college. Watson wasn't a considered a good route runner. He was a big play. He was a six foot four, four three guy. Oh shoot, I'm describing Chase Claypool. Crap. But those guys have better potential if they have a work ethic and you know good coaching to bring him along or a good mentor, like an Adam Thielen type to teach him how to, the, the inner nuances of route running where you don't necessarily learn it from other rookies and second year players. Right. Yeah. I'm a little bit reminded of, uh, you know, to use an NBA comp, like a Tracy McGrady, mm. Mm. somebody that's so good that he doesn't have any fundamentals because he's never needed them. Yeah, including at the NF, including at the highest possible professional levels, mm-hmm. he's just that much of a genetic freak among genetic freaks. Well, remember Watson played at you know the FCS level. Yeah, there aren't many guys with his physical capabilities playing in Power Five conferences, and he was beaten up on what used to be called one double A teams. And I agree, you can use your physical size and speed to beat them where you can't necessarily do that in the NFL level, where, you know, guys coming out of Alabama or Ohio State, they're playing against higher competition for the first three years of their college. So they're, they've are they had to learn how to do subtle route running shifts, setting up the defender, uh, et cetera, and you kind of see that. And it kind of reminds me, like, the guys like Reed and Dubs, we talk about the basketball comps. They remind me more of like a Jimmy Butler type where he doesn't necessarily have the same ceiling, but they have the work ethic and the technique 
and they just play well. They kind of maximize their talent, whereas Watson has the talent. Can he maximize it? You know, he has a higher ceiling. It basically comes down to this is the Green Bay Packers really need to figure out who's at fault here. Is the problem Watson or is the problem anybody they try to use in Watson's role with Jordan Love? Well, what, well, that's a good question because I know one of the things I've been hearing with the usage nerds, um, fantasy nerds, is that um, Jaden Reed's, as we saw earlier, the highest uh, passer rating to him, he's also only getting like a 50%. He's also on the field only like 50% of the time. And with the way he's outplaying Watson at this point, the Packers would be better served to just go with him and Dubs as the starters and Wicks as the fourth guy, third guy. And uh, Watson is a gimmick at this point if they're trying to make the playoffs now, which they have, they're all first and second year guys. And you really still want to stick with Watson, in my opinion, because you want him to develop because he has the highest ceiling, as we mentioned, you know? But well, yeah, but you, you, statistically speaking, you want to always be wary of small sample sizes. That too. Sometimes you, you know, one or two extra big plays in a small sample size can make a guy look a whole lot better. Yeah. I mean, the big thing for me is Jaden Reed, he's getting targets. He's, you know, tie, tied them for number one targets with Dubs and Musgrave this week. And he's getting the less, least amount of playing time of the big three receivers, but he's still earning the targets, which targets are earned. You know, you get open, the quarterback finds you, in my opinion. Amen. That's a great way if you're trying to f- predict fantasy relevance in the future look for the guys who are getting a lot of targets that aren't necessarily producing because they will eventually produce there's a reason that they're getting the ball thrown their way yeah and- game to game there is you know fluctuation in the production but mm-hmm. if somebody's consistently getting big time a big time percentage of the looks sooner or later they're going to go off exactly so either way i hope they figure it out because they do have a stable of good receivers that show flashes and it was good to see love come through and they got the win at home they handled their business and it should set up for a good uh thursday night game when we get to there but we got one more game to cover we had the sunday night football game before we do that we do want to add as a postscript our little Brandon Staley. Quite the week for temper tantrums to the media. <laughs> so Brandon Staley got tired of somebody asking him if he was still going to call the make the defensive calls, and the report and he basically told the reporter they could stop as, asking that question. And uh, to which I say, dude, Brandon Staley for the Packers, or sorry for the. Brandon Staley for the Chargers has overseen some of the worst defenses in the history of professional football. I don't know if we covered this in the past episodes because they're not one of our teams, but they have a top three or four um, amount of capital invested in their defense in the NFL. I think that I can't remember if it's salary cap or a combination of salary cap and draft picks. But, I mean, with Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa, Derwin James, they had J.C. Johnson, but they couldn't do anything with him, and they sent him back to New England where he's not playing well again, where he played well for New England before they signed him to a big money contract. So they're paying him a lot of money to not play for them, and now he's playing well again now that he's left the Brandon Staley orbit. And 
it's embarrassing at this point. They 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 have such a great team on paper, and they just continue to lose. Especially, and it would be forgivable if their offense was what struggled. But Brandon Staley's the defensive guy, and he can't coach a defense. They're bottom three every year. Why does he still have a job? I don't understand it. He should have, like I talked about this. He could have been the first coach fired. I mean, the Lions got um, Josh McDummie fired in Vegas, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But I don't know how this game didn't result in him getting let go at this point. The entire game, in a nutshell, was. Quentin Johnston wide open down the sideline looking to get the game, you know, possibly game winning score. And the ball hits him right in both hands and drops. He dropped it like three times. It looked like on that play. And uh, just to just continue one last thing, throwing Staley under the bus. If you have Khalil Mack and Joey, <laughs> we Bunch threw Staley up, under the bus three minutes ago. Now we're back. I don't care. I'm backing out. him. I'm backing over him because this is it's, this is embarrassing right now. This guy. Hey, I don't care if <laughs> no, his feelings are hurt. He gets paid millions of dollars to do this. This is my. I would love to get paid that much money to be bad at my job. If but, he doesn't want criticism, he should stop stinking. Exactly. But if you have Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack as your defensive ends, those two players with nine street free agents should have at least a top 20 defense. I'm not, you know, not a bottom three. It's, 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 it's that. Cause I mean, that's what you want. You want defensive ends that you don't have to coach those guys. They just go get the quarterback. They wreck havoc and it doesn't matter. They're that poorly schemed coach, whatever. Anyways, shall we move on to the Sunday night football game? Yes. The Sunday night football game was a defensive sight to see for much of the game is there were plenty of big plays on the Sunday night game as well but with the Vikings losing a nail biter to the Broncos right at the end with that clutch uh Russell Wilson touchdown pass to Cortland Sutton Russell Wilson is now second in the NFL amongst active quarterbacks in uh fourth quarter comebacks he closed the gap from four to five to four between him and Matt Stafford former Lion so congratulations uh Russell Wilson, everyone left you for dead uh, in the offseason, and especially when the Broncos lost 70-20. to 20. The Broncos have now won uh, four straight, and they snapped the uh, Vikings, I believe it was five-game winning streak. And this lived up to the Spider-Man meme of two teams that are identical pointing at each other because and this game was close the whole way. It was really fun to watch. Um, and I, I don't know about you, but watching this game, like, Watching Josh Dobbs scramble is one of my favorite plays because I believe he's an aerospace engineer out of Tennessee. Yes, he is. And he runs like you would expect an aerospace engineer by coordination to run. Like he just kind of like <laughs> all over the place. Like it, and Joe's laughing especially hard because he knows that me and um, our mutual best friend that we know each other through are both aerospace engineers. I don't bring it up much because that's what Matt Patricia is. And we talk to Lions fans, so I don't want to ruin my street cred. But I, I've been around a lot of guys like this. We're not known for our coordination. I'll just leave it at that. And Dub's nerd hero, in my opinion. I love watching him play. He gets the job done. And, I mean, they lost – and it's one of those games where it was weird because, yeah, they lost the turnover batter zero to three to zero, which is kind of how they lost the game. And the Denver 
uh, Vikings parallels with Bears Broncos or Bears Lions was similar where it felt like Minnesota and Detroit were spotting turnovers to try to win the game in a harder fashion. <laughs> Worked out well for the Lions. They ended up winning. The Vikings ended up losing. But Dobbs still looked the part. And I I, I, asked, I talked to Seth, friend of the podcast. He didn't seem upset about losing Dobbs, who was in the pre, who was in who was in the Browns training camp. Dobbs wasn't what he is now when he was in training camp this summer, which is crazy because that was three teams ago. <laughs> yeah, which is wild to think about. By the and way, I believe he was traded on both of them. Was he traded to the Cardinals? Because I know he was traded to the uh, Vikings from the Cardinals at the deadline, but I can't remember if he was cut from the Browns or traded. But either way. This is a guy that's just just shows up prepared. I mean, he started late the last two games of the uh, Titans gate season um, with basically no practice. Jumped in. I mean, he was a late addition to the Arizona Cardinals. He he joined them with a week left in training in, in the preseason. And then he, you know, got the start and won a couple of games with Minnesota when uh, Jaron Hall got injured. So he's just been fun to watch whether they won the game or not. It's a shame because they played well enough to win it. But Wilson, you know, showed a little, little Seahawk magic back in the day. Um, do you have any thoughts about Josh Dobbs while we're before I move on to the next point? Since I've been, yeah, no, I I really like him, but it, like Great any soul. young quarterback, the more that you see of him, the more tape you get, the more exposed his flaws are going to be, and then it just becomes how well can he address them with the talent that he has. True, and he's in a weird spot where. They're going to get more tape on him, but he's also going to get more reps with his teammates. And then also, True. he does use his legs. He does seem to be a, I either know the play or I'm going to take off, which I kind of like about that. Like that, it is hard to do, but eventually they're going to start looking, you know, they're going to load up the first read and have a spy or something like that. I can see that adjustment, you know, but it's a good story now. Let's ride, ride the wave while we can. I believe they said that even in the loss, the Vikings still have an 80% chance to make the playoffs, which is insane considering they have been doing all this winning without Justin Jefferson. And Kirk Cousins, who is having a career year, is out for the season. You know, Alexander Madison returned to action after the concussion, which is rare. I think him and Brock Purdy are the only two people to not miss the next week after a concussion. Uh, it was actually one of Madison's best games. But really, the the leaning on the run was this big story. They finally had the run game efficiency that I've mocked them for not having. Uh, Ty Chandler won up to uh, Madison. They both had 70, 80 yards. Chandler was much more efficient. And one of the big drives of the game, Chandler had the big 30-yard run on the fake punts. And then he had a 19-yard uh, catch and run to move the chains later, which was Later ruled the third down or uh, uh, inches short, but they picked up the fourth down anyways. But um, so that was fun to watch. Um, the running backs actually show some explosiveness. Um, uh, people who owned Madison and fantasy weren't that excited because they probably cut him this week. Um, <laughs> he also um, lost a fumble in the leagues where that matters much. Oh, you're right. He did lose a fumble. In fact, Dobbs lost a fumble too, and they they, they combined for four top fumbles between the two of them. But yeah, so even in Madison's best game, he lost a fumble. Yeah, Ty Chandler was both eye test and statistically the much better running back. I agree. Chandler even had a great tackle on an, on the interception. Yeah, that, 
Then yeah, he, he did. He ran the guy down. That was pretty fun to watch. That's how you get more playing time, in my opinion. Yeah. Lead the league and lead lead your offense in tackles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alexander Madison had 18 runs for 81 yards, which is good, not great. Ty Chandler had 73 yards on just 10 carries. So half the carries for less than 10-yard difference between the two, plus Ty Chandler had four catches for 37 yards. Madison had one for minus one. Mm -hmm. It gets worse when you factor in the receiving. And I I just think that – I know they love Madison. He waited. He did his time behind Dalvin Cook the last few years, but I've seen enough. I mean, I was calling for Cam Akers earlier <laughs> and Ty Chandler, and I would. I, I really think the Vikings, they have a shot at the playoffs. They need to get the hot hand. It's not like Ty Chandler is a rookie. He's been there for a year and a half now. He knows the offense, and he's been very explosive, and he shows the hustle too with the tackle and stuff. And um, I saw him pick up a good couple good uh, blocks and pass protection and off of blitzes, et cetera. Uh, he passes the eye test. I think he deserves more of a chance. I mean, the Steelers can move on from their former first overall pick to, quote, start uh, Jalen Warren this week, even if it was largely ceremonial because Najee still had more carries. Um, I think the uh, Vikings can move on to that. Um, I'm going to take some time. Oh, do you have any other thoughts on the running back before I move on? Uh, no, but I did want to point out before we get too far away from Josh Dobbs that he's got to get a little bit better with his accuracy because if I had a dollar for every time I saw TJ Hawkinson try to sky for a high-thrown ball and to get smoked, I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen one tight end get smoked that many times in a half. Speaking of tight ends, I'm going to take some time to eat some crow. Um I, I was um, ridiculing the signing of blocking tight end Josh Oliver for that $27 million three-year contract, but he came through with some big plays in the passing game this week. He had uh, four catches on four targets for 47 yards and a touchdown. He was the second leading receiver on the team behind TJ Hawkinson. So it was good to see the Vikings leaning on their running game and their two tight ends uh, to be productive uh, in lieu of uh, not having Justin Jefferson. Yeah, I agree. And if they if they can get a couple wins, then you might see Jefferson come back. Right now, they can kind of play both sides against the middle. I've heard the target is week 13 after the bye. I believe the Bears – we're going to talk about this later. They're playing the Bears on Monday night this week, um, week 12, and then they have a bye week 13. And it sounded to me like hearing the, you know, the interviews with Jefferson on the sideline during the game – he wants to play, but he's not there, and he's never had an injury like this, so he's kind of not really sure. He can't. He doesn't seem to have the strength back yet, and he needs to be able to get that back. And I'm always for holding receivers out – well, not receivers, players out an extra week or two beyond what they think when it's a soft tissue because we see these hamstrings get injured a lot, and the re-aggravation is always worse than the initial injury. So um, I hope the Vikings can stay in the playoff race and then he can come in like a turbocharger or a nitro boost going back to my, uh, fast and furious reference from an hour ago. Um, and really help them kick it to another level. But, um, um, on the flip side, Joe mentioned the three safety defense and how crazy it was. And it was fun to watch that on full display with Chris Collins worth breaking it down because they did a lot of, uh, 
putting a lot of guys at the line so you don't know who's coming in. And I always love those types of defense where they show the blitz. Uh, It's old 1990s steel curtain Steelers type defense where you know four guys are coming in, but you don't know which four four of them they are. So the line is always trying to guess who it is, and there's always that added level of confusion of where to slide it. And then when you do send the fifth, it's even more effective. And it was crazy to watch the – they would have these safeties up on the line and bail out and get 20 yards deep. <laughs> you know, it was pretty impressive what they asked of these safeties. And they they did a really good job all, all season, all game, until the very end when they were clearly tired and Russell Wilson worked his magic. They looked a little gassed. But I was impressed by the scheme and uh, what Flores has done with the defense this year. Yeah, you've got to have the – the safeties to pull it off from a personnel perspective where they have to be able to run. They have to be able to hit, but if you've got them, then they provide tremendous misdirection. It's kind of like the, it's the same philosophy of the San Francisco 49ers where they've got all these guys that fit multiple roles. Like your Christian McCaffrey, that can be a running back or a receiver or Debo that can be a receiver and a running back or uh, Kelsey that is a humongous dude that can run like a receiver and just all these matchup nightmares. Underrated blocker. Yes, he is. But you put three safeties in the box and all of them can do all of those things. You've got matchup nightmares the other way. It's funny. I love that you mentioned all these nightmares with the the Niners, uh, how their offense creates those mismatches for their versatility. And I was just thinking like, Man, it'd be fun to watch the Vikings play the Niners this year with the offensive defense. Oh, wait, the Niners did play the Vikings this year, and the Vikings won. They held the Niners to 17 points. So apparently there's something to having versatile uh, safeties and cornerbacks who can play man-to-man and uh, two defensive ends that can pressure. So they, the Vikings defense has been an unsung hero to this uh, five-game winning streak that was just snapped. They won six out of uh, five out of six – or. Six out of seven games to get back to where they're at now at six and five. Mention the email again, Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com. That's Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com. Feel free to hit us up for whatever's on your mind that pertains to football here in the Midwest. The Indianapolis Colts were on a bye last week. They're getting ready for the home stretch. But let's time for our final segment of the day. Week 12 picks and one more thing one more thing is the segment where we each choose one additional aspect of the game that were uh that involves the midwest team try and learn what we can about that team going forward we make all of our picks for those of you just joining us we make all of our picks against the uh straight up rather than against the spread because mr and mrs FanDuel live in a very nice house Let's do the Thanksgiving Day Classic first, the birthplace of Thanksgiving football, Detroit, Michigan, where they will host the Packers in one of the most played series in professional football history. How do you see this one going? What are you most interested in, Brian? Oh, oh this is a good one. Uh, do we, So we have three games that we're, we're playing against. Each other. Do we want to do two more things, one for each team? I think we got okay. away from that last week. So – I want to see out of the Packers, I want to see if they can stop the the Lions uh, running game because Gibbs and Montgomery are both basically top 12 defensive or sorry, fantasy running backs because they're both balling out and they look great. Must have felt while they lost in all this, 
Montgomery got a revenge game touchdown. He scored the game winning touchdown against the Bears last week. That's true. So that good must point. have been good, along with the uh, you know, $18 million they're paying him. Um, so I want to see if the uh Packers defense can hold up the Lions, um, slow down the Lions running game. What's your what's your one more thing on the Packers? And then you can go to the Lions. Then I'll go to the Lions. <laughs> On the Packers, I want to see how the protection schemes hold up against the Detroit pass rush, which has been struggling to this point. They've been getting plenty of pressures, but not sacks. It'll be interesting to see if the if Jordan Love can operate under those pressures without giving up the sacks. My one more thing for the Lions is I want to see if Brian Branch can uh, recover. He had a little bit of a rough game, some bad penalties, et cetera, uh, last week against Chicago. But yeah. he is the type of player who might get three interceptions this game from uh, some inaccurate passes by uh, Jordan Love because Branch is a ball-hawking safety, and he's really good, but he's also a rookie that makes rookie mistakes, as we saw last week. Yeah, he's also a big part of the run defense. Mm. He hits like a linebacker, and they, he's when they do they that sort of three-safety thing, they like to bring Brian Branch down into the box. And he's their guy that can just crush people or fly back into coverage. But speak, uh, what I want to see here for the for the Lions is I want to see them continue to get everybody involved in the passing game. Goff has to bounce back. This must be a bounce back game, especially for Goff. Not just the fourth quarter. Right. Right. Where he looked like he was hustling everybody. Yeah. What's your pick? Lions. They're the better team, but we'll see. We'll see what happens here. Anything can happen in these kind of rivalry games. So there are three games on Thursday. That's our only one in ours. And then there's also a game on Friday for everyone to watch. Um, but then our next game for our coverage purposes will be, we have three games on the Sunday 1 p.m. game. The first one we'll talk about, the Steelers at the Bengals. The AFC North continues to round Robin. There is... They played each other last week. So the Steelers and Bengals, oh, these are two teams that are both jonesing for a win. This could be a very ugly game. And I'm going to look first at the Steelers to try and see if they can run at Cincinnati here. The I think it's very important for the team that they continue to get in a, a big investment return out of their running attack. I want to see if Pickett can show more with than he's done so far and maybe get the ball to his star receivers and um, augment the running game that we've seen show flashes in the last month. I what, hear that. If on the, the running game is all about quantity, but the passing game needs to be about quality, he's got to be more efficient. And if the running game is setting him up, he should be he should be able to succeed. It makes it easier to throw the ball when the running game is is clicking. What's your one more thing for the Bengals side? On the Bengals, I want to see what happens with the receivers. We know that Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow were attached at the hip. So when a new quarterback comes in that doesn't necessarily have that report, look, it's not like Jamar Chase is going to suddenly be forgotten about, but we don't know is if this is T. Higgins' big shot or what's going to happen here. So I'm especially looking at Higgins. I'm going to cheat because my one more thing was going to be 
can uh, Jake Browning, Downing, Browning, hold up against the Steelers' defense? That's really good. Um, and it's in his first official start because he came in for relief last week. That's a tough front to go up against. But what you were saying, I want to add on to that because I had this really weird convoluted uh, thing. Tony, friend of the podcast, Tony knows this because we talked about this during Jamar Chase's rookie evaluation where he had had a rough preseason, uh, to put it lightly. Um, I kind of faded Jamar Chase because I was worried that he did so well at LSU because Joe Burrow led the uh, NCAA in tight window throws, and he trusted Jamar Chase to go get it. And my theory was Jamar Chase is going to succeed because he – is mated to Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. But if he gets paid and goes somewhere else, it might fall apart on him very quickly, a la um, Devontae Parker type. He's obviously way better than Devontae Parker, but Devontae Parker has these great games when Fitzmagic is YOLO balling the ball to him and just letting him go get it. But then like Tua comes in and doesn't throw him because he's covered. And I'll be kind of curious to see what happens with Chase the rest of this season. Will he struggle mightily or will the backup quarterback actually get him the ball and prove me wrong? I hope for the Bengals fans I'm wrong because we have seen Chase play really well for the last three years, but he also did it with Burrow at quarterback because Burrow, the year he tore his ACL was the year before uh, Jamar Chase got there. Uh, Who's your pick on this game? Steelers. Yeah, I, I think the Steelers are going to come down. Uh, they're going to set sail down the Ohio River to Cincinnati, and I think they're going to win that game with their defense alone and running game. If the Bengals find a way to win this game in a low-scoring affair, get your popcorn. I'll be the, impressed. The Steelers might enter full-on dysfunction mode. On to the Bucks at the Colts. So I want to see – how um, Jonathan Taylor does against the Bucks' de- run defense, which is underrated, one of the best in the league with their defensive tackles. Because he hasn't been Jonathan Taylor yet, despite winning the rollback. He's been a little bit slow, but he's coming off a of bye week now. So hopefully he'll be fully healthy and we'll see some explosive old school Jonathan Taylor runs. This, I think, and what I want to see is, I want to see this turn into a, a Pittman game for the Colts. Hmm where it's awful hard to make hay running right at Vita Vea. But (laughs) (laughs) that's a tough way to earn a living. But Pittman is on pace to be the first Colts receiver in years to go 100 receptions, 1,100 yards. He hasn't been as explosive this year, understandably, given who's throwing to him. But he's been really, really consistent, and uh-huh. that I th- I think this is an opportunity for him to maybe put on a show, if who if the if uh, Gardner Minshew can keep from going colorblind in the middle of the game and throwing to the wrong team. Who you got? I feel like home field really matters to the Colts. I think I'm going to pick them. This is an interesting game because the Bucks have been better than we expected, but they have lost five of their last six games, and their only win was against the Titans, who are also reeling. So I'm, I'm going to go with the Colts. I think they're just playing better football this this at this time. They're better complete. They're a more complete team. I agree. 
Let's play some more great defense with the Browns at the Broncos. I, I'll take the cop out. How's uh, DTR going to do against the Broncos uh, pass defense? which has been very, very good since that 70 points were dropped on them. They've been one of the elite uh, defenses, especially in the passing game. They got rid of two defensive linemen, and they started playing well with the younger guys. They seem more motivated. Yeah, they have been really something to behold over the last. They've been a top three, four defense since then. The Browns, you know that defense is going to show out. But I think you I think you nailed it, actually, that the that the the game is going to be determined by how seriously the quarterback takes it. I do uh you know, that how seriously the Broncos have to take the quarterback for the Browns. To me, I want to see again. Yeah, this is strange coming from me, but I'm looking at the wide receivers again. They're going to have to do a job of getting open. Amari Cooper has to be better than he was against Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. And he's not the only one. So we'll see what happens with all of these weapons that are surround that are in the passing game against a Broncos secondary. That is still pretty gosh, darn good. Who you got? I think I'm going to take the Broncos here. I If it comes down to it, we got two defensive teams that want to play it close to the best, and I still trust Russell Wilson over a young player. You beat me to the punch. I'm also going to take the Broncos. That was part of my point uh, was going to be I'll take the veteran quarterback. But also, this is another game to remember. We talked about this earlier. Games where two teams beat the crap out of each other, that is a – the Steelers-Browns was one of them. And I think that the Browns are offensive. I wouldn't be surprised if they're lethargic. They start slow because of it. And it might be hard for them to dig their way back out of that with a rookie quarterback um, and against a good defense this week. I hear that. This is also Denver's second straight home game. And you're always a little better when you've had multiple weeks at home. Mm -hmm. No, Sunday night for the Vikings. They are now hosting the Bears on Monday night. So... Um, that will cap off this wonderful uh, Thanksgiving weekend that will be started by the Lions and Packers and will be finished by the Bears and uh, Vikings, the NFC North bookending this weekend. Uh, what's your one more thing for – I'll start with the Vikings. We'll save the Bears for last. Home team Vikings. Yep. With the Vikings, it'll come down to – what I want to see is their pass rush. They've had some really good games, and then the last week their pass rush kind of faded a little bit. Uh, Pass rush versus mobile quarterback is always a fascinating matchup to me. So that's what I'm looking at to see if the Vikings are going to have trouble or if they're going to do well against some of the mobile quarterbacks in the NFC. So I like that you went with the pass rush. I was going to go with the safety slash linebackers because watching them on Sunday night, you see how much stress they put on. They they confuse the offense a lot, but they also have to do a lot of running to get from the line of scrimmage and bail out. And I think that the Bears are going to be a tough matchup for that because the Bears are going to like to run where they're going to keep them up front, but they also take their shots deep with Fields, who is a better deep ball passer than he is an intermediate. So I think what I want to see is can the Viking safety cover the run game, but also get back and prevent the big play, which – um I think the Bears' offense, the way that they kind of run, will be put a lot of stress on that style of defense. Um, what's your one more thing for the Bears? For the Bears, it's 
being able to establish the run with their offensive front. The when you have a mobile quarterback, it makes you automatically better as a running team mm-hmm. because the other defense has to account for the quarterback to hold on to the football. So that's set up for the Bears to be able to run at the Vikings, which is kind of the weak point of their defense anyway. I agree. So if the Bears can establish the run, then they have the way that I think they can, then they've got a legitimate chance to win this game. You're beating me to what I'm getting at uh, later. Um, but I, what I want to see out of the Bears is I want to see their uh, defense because I think with the addition of Sweat has added a lot of uh, made the front four a lot better. And Josh Definitely. Dobbs has, um, as great as he's been, he has put the ball on the ground a lot. With a lot, he, he's kind of been careless with the football, more so running the ball, like uh, losing fumbles or at least fumbling the ball. He had three fumbles last game alone. He only lost one of them. But I think with the additional Sweat uh, pressure by Sweat. You could. I wouldn't be surprised if the Bears wreck some havoc and create some short fields for the offense, as we saw them do against the the Lions. And I think that Golf is a more composed quarterback, you know, at this stage in his career. And I think the Bears defense can re- create a lot of havoc on this uh, unproven quarterback. And I think um, I'm going to tie this into what you said with the Bears running game matching up well against the Vikings. I think the Bears are going to win this game, despite it being on the road. Um, the Bears played the Vikings very close earlier this year. I think it was 19 to 14. And the Bears were not playing nearly as well at the time where they lost to the Vikings. I think the Bears are playing very well, despite the fact that the Vikings are the ones that had the winning streak. I hear that. Um, I'm still going to pick the Vikings, oh, mainly because I. this is two straight road games for the Bears, which is tough, and two straight home games for the Vikings, which is easy. And the two teams are close, so I I do I'd be very surprised if this ended up being a difficult game. Uh, if this was a blowout, I mean. But yeah, I'm still going to end up picking the Vikings. I will say I agree with you, but I will say on the road to Detroit and on the road to Minnesota, back to back from Chicago, both dome teams, not the worst back to back road trip you can do, but it's still back to back road game. True, but it's still disruptive and travel and all that. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, Seattle one week and Miami the next, but it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's a team. But anyway, that's all the time we have today for the Midwest Football Podcast. I want to thank Raymond for our tremendous intro and outro music. Call to me off of his album that found wherever digital music is sold for Chris Brandley to all of our logos. And most importantly, a thank you and a happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners. Thank you for finding some time for us in this amazing week. I miss you already.